At a time like this, it's easy to see why local news is so important and why that news should be free for everyone who needs it to be. Your support of KCUR makes this essential reporting possible. If you can, please donate. KCUR.org slash give. And thanks. Good morning and welcome to up-to-date special coverage, Coronavirus in Kansas City. I'm Steve Kraske. As we come to the end of another week, we'll visit today with the mayor of Topeka, who says she's fighting to get the residents of her town to take this virus seriously. Then we'll turn to a conversation about the types of mental health resources available to residents. Later, a conversation with religious leaders about the messages they'll deliver at services this holiday weekend. But first, we check in with KCUR's health reporter, Alex Smith, who discovered that many Missouri hospitals have failed to report how many COVID-19 patients they've treated. Alex, good morning. Good morning, Steve. There's some frustration about the information that hospitals are providing. What's the concern, Alex? Well, of course, in the past couple months, there has been uh, a lot of concern about whether hospitals would be able to handle a big surge in COVID-19 cases. I mean, we've already seen in New York and other places where there have just not been enough beds or ventilators. And so local leaders have been really trying to plan and figure out how we could deal with situations like that here. But some of these people have been say that they've been frustrated by hospitals not providing enough information about the numbers of patients they're seeing or what their capacities are. Which hospitals aren't providing information here? Well, it's not totally clear. Actually, the Missouri Hospital Association just started issuing daily reports on hospital capacity, but dozens of hospitals haven't been reporting. Uh, The association says this is due in part to some hospitals not having COVID-19 patients, but the association doesn't share details about who's reporting and who's not. In Kansas City, some hospitals like Truman Medical Centers and Advent Health have been sharing this data, but HCA Midwest, which has several hospitals like Menorah Medical Center and Research, says it isn't providing this information to the public. So what information are we getting from hospitals? Well, the state and local health leaders do have aggregated data about the numbers of beds and ICUs, but there's no state requirement for hospitals to report on the numbers of COVID-19 patients they're treating. And many hospitals, like I said, aren't providing this to the public. So we have real gaps in knowing how many COVID-19 patients there are in hospitals compared with their full capacity. I can't help but wonder where that leaves health departments and cities then as they try to prepare for more COVID-19 cases. Well, so there is a local health care coalition of hospitals and emergency service providers that can use individual data in the event of a crisis. But this isn't just about what we do with when, when we're in the middle of a crisis. This week, Johnson County Commissioner Mike Brown expressed some frustration about this because he said the general public is being asked to make huge sacrifices right now and stay at home. And he said there needs to be more transparency from hospitals so the public can really see if these social distancing efforts are working. Okay, that's KCUR's health reporter, Alex Smith. Alex, always appreciate it. Yeah, good to be with you, Steve. Topeka Mayor Michelle De La Isla has struggled to get residents of her community to understand just how serious the coronavirus really is. Topeka hasn't had the issues that New York City has. In fact, the entire state of Kansas has but just more than a thousand reported cases, most of them in Johnson County. Still, the mayor is working overtime to get the word out and to get her residents to practice the same social distancing practices that are in place elsewhere. She joins us now from the Capital 
city of Kansas. Mayor, it's nice to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you very much. Are you having any more success in recent days at getting the word out to your community, and are your residents responding? You know, I think that there is a large number of residents that are responding to to you know to the to the request of please staying at home because they're safer at home. But I think that there is also still a contingency of individuals that feel like this is government telling them what to do, and because we don't have the high numbers that we see across the country, it's very hard for people if they don't have a personal experience to understand how serious this really is. Uh, so as, as you can imagine, we always have the contingency of, of a small group of people that are still wondering if this is real. I was going to say, it's a whole different story in Topeka, Kansas, compared to New York City. How many confirmed cases do you have in Topeka? Last I recall, last night we had 58. Okay, and is that number, what are you seeing in terms of growth of that number? Well, um, for me, personally, I consider that it has grown um, pretty rapidly, considering that when we issued our Safer at Home order, we were only at, we, we had no cases at all. And then two days later, we went from zero to one to three, and I don't think it's been more than two to three weeks since we've been under our order. So to me, it's been escalating a little bit. However, the, the wonderful thing is that we're not seeing exponential growth. Hmm. Um, and, and, and that helps us with our hospitals uh, not to be overburdened. So even though to me, that's too many people, um, our hospitals are not suffering because of it. What have you been doing to get the word out? Oh, gosh, uh, we have a phenomenal team. It's not just me. Uh, we have the incident command team that I'm a part of. Uh, it's a collaboration with the city and the county. So you have Dr. Gianfranco Pizzino, who is our health officer, uh, spreading the word. You have Dusty Nichols spreading the word. We have a group of phenomenal PIOs from all organizations across our community that are also doing the same thing. In our battle rhythm, our weekly battle rhythm, we have meetings with nursing homes, we have meetings with uh, church groups, we have meetings with uh, the hospitals, we're using social media to the max capacity, we're doing PSAs in the radio and on the TV. Hmm. I mean, you name it, we are saturating the media as much as we can. So when you do get out and talk to your residents, Mayor, um, are, are some just looking you right in the eye and they're saying they're not sure if this pand- pandemic is a real deal or not? You know, first of all, I don't, I don't have the privilege anymore of being well, able to see my residents sure. yeah. <laughs> face to face. But here is what I'm seeing. Those who are on my mayor uh, page on Facebook, when I do my Facebook Lives, um, for the most part, you see a lot of people saying that they agree. But then when you when you watch something like yesterday, everybody tells you, don't read the comments, don't read the comments, right? Mm-hmm. And yesterday, CJ posted something, and yet there was still somebody saying, you know, this is a person of this political ideation that is telling us to stay at home because they want us to have a military state and they want to control us. So, so again, you still have some individuals. For the most part, the feedback that I'm getting is pretty positive, but I'm telling you, I've gotten emails, you know, pretty much if, if you could yell through an email, you could just feel the tone saying, I don't trust the numbers. I don't trust that you guys are giving us accurate information. You know, not only are, are you, you're trying to keep people safe, but you're killing businesses. So there's so much anxiety that is being caused by the safer at home 
precautions that we're taking all across the globe um, that, that, that we're, we're going to see both sides on a regular basis. I don't think that you're ever going to have 100% consistency in your community uh, on, on any single issue. And I think that we're seeing it in this issue as well. You're using a term safer at home order. Is that what's in place in Topeka? And can you describe it to us, Mayor? Well, uh, what, what, what I use as safer as home is that was the name of the order that Shawnee County instituted. We worked really hard to ensure that we had covered every possible issue that, that could be considered a quote unquote a loophole. Um, but uh, that's what we're calling it. The governor's order is a stay at home order. At the moment that the governor issued her executive order, her order trumped ours. Mm-hmm. However, our call to our community in Shawnee County is, yes, we are not able to make our order more stringent. However, we ask you as a favor to consider the same things that we asked you under the Safer at Home order, which was ask yourself before you leave your home, is it an essential issue that I'm addressing? Mm-hmm. Um, if if you're you're trying to think over it several times, then maybe it's not an essential issue. Um, and, and the call is to really just p- please just stay at home if possible. I'm visiting with Topeka Mayor Michelle De La Isla. Uh, to what extent and, and how are your police department, how is your police department enforcing the governor's stay-at-home order? The municipalities don't have the opportunity to enforce through police uh, force any of the, uh, the requirements. Um, so our police officers are just going about their day doing what they need to do, making sure that they're being protective with the proper PPE, um, just doing whatever it is that they need to do as normal. We are not using our officers for enforcement. And why is that? Because that is part of the, the, the executive order issued by the governor. The executive order by the governor, what, said that, Explain that to me. What what did it say in terms Local of what municipalities don't have the opportunity to then go and enforce? Hmm. I mean, the order is very clear that this is what the order expects of all Kansans, um, but it's not it's not a declaration of you know everybody's got to be home and the police is going to regulate. This is not what that order is. It's hey, the simplest way for me to explain it. Mm-hmm. Do the doctors in your town, Mayor, have the tools they need to handle an outbreak in Topeka should one come? What are you seeing there? You know, I think that the news were, were released recently. Our hospitals are struggling. Our hospitals have a significant rate of no-shows in the clinics. Anything that's been elective has been suspended um, because of many reasons. Number one, people don't want to go to the hospital to have any elective procedures because they're concerned of contracting COVID. However, the other thing is hospitals are having to make really tough decisions to extend the life of the PPE that they have. Um, Personal protective equipment is our number one need. Uh, And I don't think that it's just in the state of Kansas where we don't have a significant issue like we have in New York. But I think that when you speak with hospitals, for example, like Stormont Vale, um, they recently started telling people, if you are not uh, an individual that is working face-to-face with patients, bring your own mask. So that gives you an example of the needs that we have in our local hospitals. Um, they, we have amazing staff that is working extremely hard. They're heroes exposing themselves to this horrible corona, coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, but we don't have as much personal protective equipment as we would like to have in our communities. What are the prospects for getting that equipment? You know, I think that right now you've heard it in the in the national news. Everybody is trying to figure out if, if the 
federal government is not going to send the shipments um, out to the states, then what's going to happen is that you have states and communities going out to the market trying to figure out what they're going to be able to purchase. Um, so, so we are in a in a state that we're just you know trying to see what's going to happen. The governor very clearly indicated in one of her press conferences that they have received um, everything that you know they were going to receive. And they distributed this out to all the counties based on population. So at this point in time, I think that in Topeka, we have probably enough for uh, two to three weeks, and we're looking for additional resources. You've set up what you call a warm line to, as opposed to a hotline for people in Topeka who are in distress. Tell us about that. Yes. Um, so one of my uh, big concerns when we were starting, to, when our team started to develop the plan, on what we were going to need to stop gap, um, we did it based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And um, one of the things was making sure that people felt that they had connection. Um, immediately reached out to Family Service and Guidance Center in Vallejo and talked about maybe using the energy of volunteers to support other people. And Bill Persinger, the CEO of Vallejo, said, oh, my God, that's great. It's a warm line. So everybody agreed that it was a good idea, and then uh, we have Susan Kamen, who is part of Shawnee County. She took the project over and worked with Family Service and Guidance and with HealthSource, um, one of our call centers here, and they have taken off. And today uh, in our press conference, we're going to be able to announce the phone number and how we went about uh, setting up the structure, but we're very excited. This is going to be something that we're going to be rolling out today. Before you leave, I wanted to ask about the ongoing debate in Kansas over services this weekend. As you know, the Democratic Governor Laura Kelly is in a heated dispute with the Republican leadership of the legislature over whether services larger than 10 people should be held this weekend in churches across the state of Kansas. I'm wondering what you're hearing from religious leaders in your constituents in Topeka about uh, how that debate should play out. You know, it's kind of interesting. So ever since this uh, crisis started in our community, one of the first things that we did is I have a weekly meeting with the Catholic churches, and I have a weekly meeting with the Protestant churches. I reached out to the Hindu temple. I reached out to Rabbi Steele. I reached out um, to um, to the mosque and asked, what are you guys doing? And um, the, the, the contingents of the, the pastors and the contingent of the Catholic churches, and recently Rabbi Steele even said, hey, I want to get in on those calls. We've been having weekly meetings. And we recently had a letter sent out to the editor at the Topeka Capital Journal that was signed for over 30 pastors. And because of the conversations that we've been having, they all agree. Invite God into your home. Invite God into your home. And not into um, churches and other and synagogues this weekend. Absolutely not mm-hmm. into churches. So um, I think that I am, ex- first of all, I have to say I'm extremely proud of our governor for making the courageous decision that she made. And I am a little disappointed, uh, and a little doesn't really describe it, with the, with the decision that was made by the LCC on, on, on trying to go against this order. This, this is not a political issue. This is a life-saving issue. And I think that this is the moment in time that as Kansans, we should all come together to ensure that we preserve a generation of individuals that we could lose 
um, we understand that a majority of people that go to our churches, there is a large number of individuals that would be extremely susceptible to this virus. Hmm. This is a measure that is not about politics. It's a measure about ensuring that we can celebrate Easter together next year. We're waiting to hear today whether the Kansas Supreme Court will take up a challenge to this uh, situation from the governor. Just a final point, uh, Mayor, you've put off your candidacy for Congress in the state's second district. Why? I did not put it off. I, uh, I'm not working as closely in the campaign, but the okay. campaign is still going. I'm still running for Congress. The, 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 what I've told everybody is this. If I am not the best mayor, I don't deserve to be your congresswoman. So I am. I promised the city of Topeka my service, and at this point in time, what matters matters first. But I have an amazing team that is still helping with the campaign. Um, I'm still, whenever I have time on the weekends and late at night, work on the campaign. But my priority right now is ensuring that the city of Topeka and Shawnee County in collaboration is, is extremely safe and that we have all the resources that we need and all the communication that we need to ensure that every one of our residents is safe. That's Topeka Mayor Michelle De La Isla. Mayor, thank you so much for your time. Stay safe, and we sure appreciate you taking time with us today. Thank you. Have a great day. Stay safe. We've been talking on the show about social isolation as the coronavirus digs in across the country. Lots of people find themselves alone for big parts of the day or the entire day. Residents can't get together with their friends. Staying in touch on the phone or via social media isn't quite the same. And that's causing a lot of anxiety and even depression out there. Now a look at what mental health resources are available in the metro. With us is Susan Lewis. She's the CEO and president of Mental Health America of the Heartland. Susan, thanks for taking some time. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. I'm glad, pleased to be here. You know, KCUR's Gina Kaufman just did a story on mental health in this pandemic, and she began her story this way, Susan, and I, I want to read it to you and have you react to it. Gina wrote this, mental health experts say that even people who remain physically healthy throughout the COVID-19 epidemic are already experiencing high levels of trauma, which will be with them long after the spread of the virus is under control. And I'm wondering, why are healthy people still suffering from trauma right now? Well, I think some folks um, are, are dealing quite accurately with, uh, with losses and grief. Uh, people who have passed away as a result of, of COVID. Um, this pandemic qualifies as a, as a national natural disaster. And some of the responses um, that, the, that the mind and the body would have would be very similar. Trauma happens when the when the mind is forced to adjust to a significant threat to life or limb, um, whether that's something that has happened to the individual or whether that has happened to someone the individual knows. And many of us who aren't maybe directly affected have have friends who are in other parts of the country who have become infected, and and some of us have friends and family members who've passed away. So the trauma you're suggesting is more widespread in our community than perhaps a lot of people might recognize. I think that's probably the case. I think the bigger issue really is the the heightened amount of of anxiety, which I wouldn't characterize as as clinical anxiety and anxiety disorder per se, but the the amount of stress we are under um, 
is to some degree a, a natural response to a very, very unnatural situation for many of us. And it's to be expected that we're going to struggle with that. Hmm. Is it also fair to conclude that this trauma is going to be with people even long after the virus is under control? Well, one of the interesting things about trauma is it, it does sort of stick around in in your body, in your mind for for a good period of time. It's it's not just the same as plain old stress where once the stressor is reduced or removed or managed in some way, um, that it just sort of abates. So I I think there will be people who are who are really struggling for quite some time in the aftermath. Once we get back to something that's a little more normal, even if that's briefly. How much do we know and, and how uncertain is it how people are processing all this trauma, Susan? What, what do you think? Well, what what I know and what we see on our warm line, and I'm so excited that Topeka is starting one up. We've had one um, here at Mental Health America since about 2001. We're the longest running warm line actually in the United States. Hmm. What we're seeing is about a 30 percent up uptick in the incoming calls to that line um, from mid-March, um, even before a lot of the stay-at-home orders uh, went into place, and those have been steadily increasing. We've actually increased our hours effective April 1st. We were able to mobilize quite rapidly uh, because we had a cadre of staff and volunteers already trained and in place. and and happy to take on additional hours. So that that line now runs from one o'clock in the afternoon till 10 o'clock at night, 365 days a year, and has both a local Kansas City number and a 1-800 number. It's confidential, free of charge, and a, a place that people can discuss their anxiety, whether it's about COVID or feeling isolated or family pressures at home. Um, get some, get a good sounding board, be reminded of the coping strategies they've already maybe used in the past that maybe we forget when we're under stress, but uh, also maybe get some ideas of coping strategies that have worked for other people. Before I forget, Susan, give out those numbers if you would. I'd be happy to. Uh, the uh, the 1-800 number is 866 866- Nine two seven six three two seven. The local number is nine. Wait, wait, Susan, you, you just lost me there. One eight hundred eight six six. No, no, too many no, numbers. Sorry, the toll, the toll free number is one eight six six. Gotcha, gotcha. Nine two seven six three two seven six three two seven. Okay, I got gotcha. you. And then okay. the uh, local number nine one three two eight one. 2251. Well, I got one more number uh, for our listeners. 816-235-2888 our phone number here. Uh, has the pandemic have you seeking the support of a mental health professional? Have you been able to find one? I'd be curious to know. 816-235-2888 or again, tweet us at KCUR up to date. Um, what kinds of uh, I wonder if you can recall or if maybe you've had a conversation about some of the calls that have come into your hotline, the types of issues that people are are struggling with, Susan. Well, I think that, you know, the kind of 
the kind of feelings and, and issues people are, are dealing with is, is worry about their own health status, worry about their loved ones. Um, and as a result, you know, they're experiencing changes in maybe sleeping patterns, eating patterns. Um, they're having difficulty concentrating. Um, they may be finding that they want to use alcohol or tobacco or other drugs more or finding that they're, you know, kind of depending on those um, not so positive and helpful coping strategies. Um, some folks are finding that that those are worsening any other chronic health problems that they might have. Um, certainly individuals who have um, had a mental health diagnosis before and been in care are having some, some more specific struggles as this may intensify things. If you already struggle with depression or anxiety, um, the, the fact of being isolated in your home uh, may make that more difficult. I will give huge kudos to both public uh, community mental health center professionals and private mental health professionals who are just making Herculean efforts to reach out in some fashion, whether that's by phone or Skype or, or some other method, um, to, their, to the folks uh, who are on their patient roster or client list um, to do check-ins, to, to check on wellness, to ensure people have what they need. But um, as the mayor said, it is, it is absolutely not the same as, as seeing someone face-to-face. I want to give out that toll-free number one more time, 1-866-927-6327, just so our listeners have it. What are some tips, Susan, for people during a time like this to help them maintain good mental health? Well, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because one of the first tips is to take, take breaks from watching, reading, or listening to news stories, including <laughs> social media. Thanks a now, lot, I Susan. Yeah. The, the immediate uh, the immediate corollary to that is when you are seeking additional information about COVID, about the pandemic, about what's happening, really rely on on trusted news store sources that are not um, unnecessarily inflammatory. I I certainly know that I pretty much only listen to KCUR. Um, as as my source, um, when I get online, I'm I'm looking at the centers the, at the CDC website, you know, or Johns Hopkins University, or you know, folks who are are really trusted and are are going to be clear and factual and not inflammatory. And I think that's important. Um, other things to do are are to take care of your body um, for folks who do any kind of meditation, prayer, mindfulness, all of those things are incredibly helpful. Um, stretching, yoga, deep breathing. There are a load of wonderful apps um, available for those folks who, who can get there on a smartphone. Um, I know I've got a daily yoga app that, uh, gee, I can't make it to my yoga class, but I can pull up the daily yoga app and do that in the comfort of my own home. Um, exercising is is absolutely huge. That helps dispel a lot of the anxiety. Right. Um, Persons struggling with depression, getting out in the fresh air and the sunshine, getting that vitamin D is helpful. Um, it's it's very fortunate that we're we're still able to go outdoors and maintain social distance that way. 
Um, eating healthy, balanced meals right. is a good part of mental health anyway, and even more important at times like this. Susan Lewis is the CEO and president of Mental Health America of the Heartland. She's my guest here. You know, one thing I've heard is that knowing the facts about COVID can be empowering. Is that true? And, and why is that? I, I think it I think it is because a lot of a lot of anxiety and a lot of trauma is about being out of control, is of not of not being able to have any power over the situation. And, you know, some of the tips are get the information you can, make a plan, and then stop worrying about it. Mm-hmm. Execute your plan when you need to. Uh, my family's had conversations. Boy, if one of us gets sick, given the layout of the house, how are we going to isolate mm-hmm. that individual? How are the rest of us, are, you know, how's that going to work out? Great. We've had the conversation. We don't need to worry about it. We don't need to have the conversation again. We, you know, know the plan. When we began, you know, preparing for the things we needed, we kind of sat down and said, okay, so how much toilet paper do we really need Mm -hmm. to get through? How much soup? (laughs) How much cold medicine? Um, and then began kind of systematically ticking that off. And that that helps, particularly when you can't get out at a moment's notice to go to the store because you ran out of something. So what you're describing to me is a proactive approach and a sense of sort of going at this coronavirus more deliberately than as opposed to sitting back passively and letting life come to you. Right. And and sitting back, not, I wish it was passively. For some of us, we look very passive, but we're, we're paddling like ducks under the surface, worrying, worrying, worrying about what's going to happen. And and taking control of the things that you can manage helps. The other thing is to to make time for any kind of activity you enjoy. Um, I have someone who says, boy, you know, when I'm stressed, I love to go shopping. I can't shop now. I can't go out to the stores. Okay, but you can look around online and maybe you don't put everything in your cart because might be wise to conserve a little money, but you can look around online and come up with your Christmas list early. Mm-hmm. I've seen some I've seen some amazing um, kinds of really fun activities. Friends of friends of mine who are uh, absolutely locked in out on the West Coast, who have uh, kids who are absolutely locked in in Manhattan, um, have begun a once a week Uno game. And have invited to us. And so we're playing Uno with multiple decks of cards across the United States on Zoom. Hmm. Um, we, we've talked about telemedicine and teletherapy on this show in recent weeks, Susan. You know what? One question that comes up always, is it as effective as actually showing up in a doctor's office? I, I think it's different. I think that, that uh, telemedicine, teletherapy has made huge, huge strides um, since it was first introduced 15, 20 years ago in terms of quality of connection, people's ability to be comfortable with it. Um, We are fortunate in our listening area that um, many individuals have solid internet connections. Um, You get very far out states in either Kansas or Missouri, and that gets gets a lot more difficult. Right. you also, of course, have individuals um, in our community whose access to a computer and to the Internet are 
at their local public library or at their community mental health center. And those folks are are absolutely left out of that. That's that's part of why right. some of the warm lines are so important because most folks are, are carrying some kind of a cell phone. Susan, just quickly, I just have a few seconds left. Sometimes finding a good therapist is tough. Where can people go as a, for a resource to help them navigate and, and find someone who might be helpful for them? Sure, absolutely. Um, I always tell folks, if you've got insurance, flip over the card and call your carrier because you don't want to go to a therapist that you don't have coverage with. Um, very often, individuals can find a good therapist if they uh, look to a support group that is dealing with the kind of um, illness they're dealing with. For example, a depression and bipolar support group. Now, not all of those groups are operating, uh, meeting in the evenings, but many of them are meeting online. Most of the facilitators um, are more than willing to take a phone call or an email to give suggestions of, of therapists that right. um, are effective for their group members. That's Susan Lewis. She's the CEO and president of Mental Health America of the Heartland. That warm line number again, 1-866-927-6327. Susan, thanks for the good information. I sure appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. After a short break, when we come back, we'll talk with a couple of pastors and religious leaders about how they're approaching uh, services this weekend. I'm Steve Kraske, and you're listening to up-to-date special coverage, Coronavirus in Kansas City. And welcome back. I am Steve Kraske. With Passover taking place on Wednesday and Easter on Sunday, Christians and Jews in Kansas City are celebrating, but for different reasons. They're also celebrating in ways that are very different from previous years. We're going to check in now with a rabbi and a pastor about how their friends and congregations are getting by in a world of virtual seders and virtual church services. Joining us now are uh, Mark Levin. He's the founding rabbi of Congregation Beth Torah in Overland Park. Rabbi, it's nice to have you back again. Welcome. Uh, Nanette Roberts, we'll go with her. She's a senior pastor at Grace United Methodist in Olathe. Nanette, good morning to you. Good morning. It's good to be here. I wonder if you could compare your Easter services of a year ago with what's going to take place on Sunday. (laughs) Um, Sure. You know, normally we would have between 2,500 and 3,000 people streaming into uh, our church for uh, four different services, and uh, this year that's all virtual. And so it's a a vastly different experience, I think, for our congregation members as as it is for churches across uh, the United States, and uh, and a vastly different experience for all the pastors as well. I was going to say, how will this change the complexion of your Easter and even the feel of it? Well, I, th- I think perhaps the message of Easter is more important than it's ever been, at least in my lifetime. Um, you know, the promise of, of Good Friday is that if you live with truth and integrity uh, and refuse to give in to sort of the violence that uh, your your world sometimes invites you to have, that that, that kind of faithfulness will change the world. And so um, that's kind of the message we're trying to give, give is uh, not ignoring the pain of this and the, and the difference of this, uh, but also uh, naming that and then naming that there is hope and there is good news. And that's a, that's a huge message to hear this year. Uh, Rabbi Mark Levin is with us now. Rabbi, it's always a pleasure to have you. Thanks for taking the time. 
Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, tell us how you've celebrated Passover in the past and, and how this year is going to be different. Well, uh, it's, of course, occurred Wednesday night and Thursday night. And in the past, we've always had a Seder at our home and invited people to uh, come to the Seder, um, friends and family. And we, we have two Seders. And uh, this year, of course, there were just us around the table, just my wife and myself. And uh, last night, also, one of our children was here at, at the table, come home from New York because of what's going on there. Uh, but uh, everyone that we invited was, in fact, around the table uh, because we were all together on Zoom. So uh, both of the Seders had 10 or 11 people. How did that change things for, for you, Rabbi, maybe from an emotional standpoint? It was very interesting, actually, because um, our, our son in Chicago would not have been here, my, and, and our son in, in L.A. would not have been here, and, and, the, and the son in New York, who is here, uh, would not have been here had this not been happening. So in point of fact, all of us were together. Huh. Uh, but it's a little bit more difficult. It's harder to share. Uh, but we did accommodate, and uh, Zoom worked out better than, than I had thought. Uh, so in a certain sense, the certain sense it was good. Now, would we have loved to have had the grandchildren at the table and have them look for the Alpha Komen around our house? Uh, yes, that would have been really lovely. Uh, but I, I guess this year was a trade-off. I think uh, it's fair to say, Rabbi, that a lot of us older folks are amazed at how well Zoom works these days. You know, um, I can't help but ask how the raging controversy in Kansas right now over whether church gatherings should be limited in size this weekend to no more than. 10. Uh, Republican lawmakers are upset with uh, Democratic Governor Laura Kelly, who's issued that order. There's now a lawsuit in the works, uh, Pastor Roberts. What what do you think? Should church gatherings be limited at this time, or does that amount to an overreach by this governor? Of course, church gatherings should be limited during this time. Um, I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm pretty... Um, passionate about this. Um, the arrogance of ignorance is is just sending me over the edge. Um, we have been uh, telling our folks, as most of my colleagues or all of my colleagues have, to shelter at home since the very beginning. And so I do not think that this is a, a separation of church and state issue at all. I think there's politics being played. Um, had the governor said to us, you have to meet in groups over of 10, we would not have met. And so the governor, the governor being sane and saying, don't meet, uh, it, it, is, it, it makes sense with what we already would have done anyway, because we're called to protect and to um, bring life in abundance to our people, not the threat of death or sickness. So yeah. that's, <laughs> that's where I am. Rabbi Levin, what do you think? Well, I do think that this is primarily, as, as the pastor said, a political uh, decision. But I, I don't want to focus on the political. I want to fo focus on the theological or the philosophical. And that is, it seems to me that there are rights that are conf in conflict here, which is not, uh, which is often the, the, the case in these kinds of discussions. And the rights in question are the right of assembly, the right of worship, uh, and, and the right to health and, and safety. And it, it seems to me, and this is definitely true in Jewish tradition, the right to health and safety uh, trumps the, the right of assembly. And there is no, um, uh, worship is not threatened here. We worshiped at our at our home and included everyone. Uh, all the synagogues in the city are are meeting virtually now. There are there are no public uh, worship services that are happy with everyone in the same room. And, and so th there's no threat here to worship. There is only a threat to assembly. But I agree with the pastor that I that I think um, we we do have a primarily a political thing here. And it's sad. It's it's just so sad 
And the, and the sadness is that politics would trump uh, people's lives. Uh, people's lives will be threatened. They will be threatened as a result of this. And, and life is the highest value. We're visiting with. Well, your, and that's. Yeah, go ahead. Nanette. That's been. Yeah. That's been that's been proven. I mean, as the governor said, there have been um, outbreaks <laughs> of this virus uh, in in uh, faith faith communities that have met together. Um, and so the the sadness is right that um, as we come to understand what what Jesus called as the called us as a good shepherd, right? So pastors are to be a good shepherd, and if we're leading our people, we don't we don't lead the sheep in front of a wolf's den. Um, we seek to to help our folks have life and life in abundance. So again, I, I agree with the Rabbi. Um, th- this is not. It shouldn't be primarily a political issue. It's a it's a theological issue, and and it's about taking care of our folks. We're visiting with area religious leaders about uh, how they're celebrating uh, this week and this weekend uh, in the wake of the pandemic. Um, Pastor Roberts, uh, to what extent can a small scale celebration at home this weekend at Easter time take the place of the celebrations that would have otherwise taken place in your church? Uh, What are you advising your congregants? Well, to be honest with you, we've been having... um, uh, Webstream Church uh, at home, sheltering in place for the last four weeks, and um, I, I think the change. To be honest with you, would I rather meet together? Would our folks rather meet together? Absolutely, but the change in and of itself is raising our awareness. And so, what 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 it's making true is what we've preached all these years, but never had to face, and that is that church is not a building. Uh, church church is uh, ch- church and 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 our faith in Jesus Christ happens in our heart and in our minds and in our spirits. And uh, Rob Bell wrote, wrote a book uh, in 2014, and I, I reread it. And, and and what he says in there, which is really interesting to me, uh, prophetically enough, right, is that um, when Moses came across the burning bush, um, it wasn't so much that suddenly the ground was holy. It's just that he recognized he was standing on holy ground. So we mm. believe that holy ground is where you are because God is with you in that place. Mm. So worshiping at home will be different, but it will be no less effective and no less meaningful. Rabbi Mark Levin, what do you say? There's a, a statement in Jewish tradition, which I find interesting here. Um, before God sends the plague, God sends the cure. Uh, it seems to me that the cure for this one is the internet. Uh, so it's been around for, what, 30 years now? Mm-hmm. And I, I left out because I, I stressed the two uh, Seder ceremonies. But, of course, there is daily worship and there is uh, festival worship yesterday morning and, and this morning in traditional congregations, yesterday morning in Reformed congregations. And then the Sabbath begins tonight, and there generally would be uh, the assembly of uh, Shabbat Sabbath services tonight and tomorrow and and tomorrow afternoon as well. And none of those are being held. Now, the point is that worship, the worship of God, the the exodus from Egypt, the celebration of what's called the root experience of the Jewish people, the exodus, all of that is taking place. The fact that it's taking place in a little bit of a different setting, and and Orthodox Jews have an additional problem because the, the prohibition um, on these holidays against using electricity, et cetera. But, but uh, liberal Jews do not have that problem. And, and we, we can assemble, we can pray. There's nothing wrong with praying by yourself. And the sacrifice of the assembly opportunity, when you can, in fact, celebrate these values and celebrate these events and connect to God, it's a small sacrifice 
to have respect for the, the life of, an, of another person. Uh, the Talmud says we give up one, one day, we, we give up one Shabbat uh, in order to celebrate many Shabbats. And, and that's what's at work here. We have the opportunity to connect with God. The only thing that's different is, is the limiting the right to assembly uh, during this period of time in order to save our neighbors' lives. And that also is a commandment, right? That we, that we have a community of people, not necessarily of our faith, but we have a community of people that we also live among and must support. That's the voice of Rabbi Mark Levin. He's with Congregation Beth Torah in Overland Park. We're also joined by Nanette Roberts, who's a senior pastor at Grace United Methodist Church in Olathe. I'm wondering if the two of you would share your messages, either of recent days or what you're going to say this weekend. Uh, pastor Roberts, in your case, what you're going to say this weekend. What What is your message going to be? Well, uh uh, you know, um, spoiler alert, right? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus comes out of the tomb. <laughs> but I, 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 I talk a little bit this week about, um, frankly, uh, how it is that uh, the the disciples with Jesus, right, on uh, the, the night before the crucifixion sheltered at home for that first communion. And so we did that last night for Maundy Thursday. Um, as we do the seven last words, we'll also realize that most of the disciples during that crucifixion were also sheltered out of fear and anxiety. Um, we're not the first uh, to have faced this kind of darkness. Um, and, the, and the good news is, the good news of Sunday morning is, none of that keeps the resurrection from happening. And so this hmm. year particularly, um, we're faced probably more with an awareness of the possibility of our mortality or the reality of our mortality uh, because we hear mortality rates now <laughs> constantly, um, and and it's where mortality meets resurrection, and there is a, a life cycle to all of our lives. Uh, all of our lives are limited, and the importance of recognizing that is that we're not God, and the good news is, right, that God has loved us from the beginning of creation, loves us still, will love us into eternity whether we live a hundred years or whether we die tomorrow. And so that great good news is that which helps us live with faith over fear, most particularly in these days, so that we're generous with one another rather than selfish and uh, defensive with one another. Rabbi Levin? I, I um, speak weekly about the Torah portion, the portion of the, of the Torah that we read, the five books of Moses that we read. And generally, we, we go through the entirety of the Torah uh, in a year, and the and the next part, the next portion is a portion that is read. But this is a holiday, and so we have a special holiday portion. And that special holiday portion is Exodus thirty three twelve through thirty four uh, twenty six, and it has to do with uh, well, it, it, it sort of follows upon the uh, golden calf in the wilderness, uh, and then Moses is sent to Mount Sinai to get the tablets of the Torah, uh, tablets of the law, tablets of the Ten Commandments, and brings them down and gives them to the people. So one. Uh, as the pastor was saying, I think uh, uh, there's this message of hopefulness, right? There is this eternal covenant that we observe that is that is Moses is uh, dated about three thousand years ago, and 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 our brief lives are but a speck in in in, in that continuity. And so this is hopefulness that the covenant continues beyond us into future generations. But there's also an interesting little story here. And that is at the very moment of the height of revelation, when Moses is at the top of the mountain, what are the people doing? The people at the bottom of the mountain making the choice to build a golden calf. In other words, to pursue their own idols. And we have the same choice in our own day, right? We, we constantly pursue our own idols, uh, our own idols being uh, our, our own financial welfare, 
um, our status in the community, whatever those idols may happen to be. Uh, and we have the choice because then Moses comes down and of course he breaks the two tablets of the covenant and 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 uh, and the people are punished. But then, then, okay, the, the tablets are written and Moses has to carve them himself. Hmm. He has to take them back up to the top of the mountain. In other words, we are responsible for our destiny. We are responsible for observing these rules that will keep all of us safe will keep all of us holy. And this is but a brief spot. We've been through pandemics before. Certainly in Jewish history, there have been these kinds of, of tragedies in the past. And we will survive it. And we will survive perhaps even stronger with a reminder of the hopefulness of the message of God when we when we accept the Torah into our lives. Now, Pastor Roberts, you mentioned a little bit ago that you went online at, at your church uh, several weeks ago. And I'm wondering how that's gone for your congregation. How big a change was it for them? And to what extent are are your members uh, uh, going online to uh, join in with your services? Or have you seen a drop-off in attendance? Well, the interesting thing is, right, so for... Uh, my production team consists of one person, <laughs> so, but I, but he did everything, and so it's been kind of like drinking out of a a, a, um, a fire hose for me and for my uh, staff team, and they've done extremely well. They've adapted far better than I have, as a lot of my colleagues have. Um, but what I would tell you is, I think folks are feeling. Uh, such a need to connect is that our attendance is staying uh, now right how do you how do you read the numbers but our attendance is staying very very healthy uh, if not a little bit more so I think we're reaching more people my sermons themselves were already on a podcast uh, mm. on Mondays and so our, our folks were for, were used to kind of seeing that premiere at uh, 11 o'clock on Mondays and it would get you know it would get uh, a lot of views. But now that we're doing our all our whole services on Sunday, and then uh, the podcast goes on on Monday again, my gosh, um, probably the numbers that are tuning in um, have doubled uh, or tripled. Huh, but wow. but even on Sunday mornings, folks are connecting with each other during the service. So I love the chats that happen, and then we stay on for about fifteen minutes after the service is over, and I chat with folks. So um, it's it's been an interesting new way of communication that I think may make us stronger after this is all over. Huh. Rabbi Levin, I, I've got about 45 seconds here. What have you noticed at uh, Congregation Beth Torah? Well, um, um, Rabbi Javier Calipan is now the senior rabbi there. Right. I do the comments and a couple of things. One is I do think a great many people are attending. Secondly, I think this is going to continue afterwards. I think more people are actually going to be attending worship afterwards, some in person and some virtually. Um, uh, my my colleague at the congregation calling me, Rabbi Doug Alpert, um, has actually started a morning service that he didn't have previously, and he has a good attendance at the morning service because people can stay in their homes and pray for 15 minutes together as a community rather than having mm -hmm. to schlep over to some building. So, you know, I think this is, I think, one, the I think the congregation continues to attend. I don't think the numbers have slacked off. And secondly, I think there's going to be innovation that comes out of this. It's going to increase the religious life huh. that people find possible on a day-to-day -day basis. That's the voice Absolutely. of Rabbi Mark Levin from Congregation Beth Torah. Nanette Roberts also joined us, senior pastor at Grace United Methodist in Olathe. Thank you both for some good thoughts. I sure appreciate it. A pleasure. Thanks for Thank you me. so much. Before we uh, let you go for the weekend, we have a rumination to share with you, written and read by Kansas City artist and poet Jose Faust. Jose, like many of us, has been struggling with how COVID-19 has been impacting his routines, like the arrival of spring. One of the magical moments in this city passes almost unnoticed. 
Spring's arrival makes no grand pronouncement. It defies a date. While one is officially announced, in many cases the moment has passed or is yet to arrive, and that's its magic. It is a moment materializing as sensation. We know it instinctively. We see the robins playing, but that's no measure. The last two winters, robins have wintered in greater numbers than I recall. No, I don't trust them as harbingers. And when the tulips for Scythius and Bradford pears ache with promise, each bite a riotous appearance, winter's grip has clamped down with a harsh and frosty reminder that I no longer am deceived. Spring will come what may, and I'll know it when I feel it. This year, I think I missed it. The signs pointed to March 6th and 7th. The temperature was to be in the 60s, the kind of lacy warmth that breaks the pall of winter. Early in the week, I noticed the winds easing. There was a mildness lingered just a little longer each day before the cool of night or the shade of the day told me it was still winter's game. The smell of the city began to change. There was the aroma of unraked leaves moist from the morning dew, a decaying smell just barely released by the warming sun and early rains. And Orion took its place above the evening sky. The dog began to sense it, demanded time outside, lingered longer than usual before coming in. The cats, never a good promise for anything except hot summer, sunned themselves shamelessly in the mild sunlight. I told a friend what to look for. The easy walk of people on the street with eyes cast upward every now and then so that cheeks can take the full flush of the moment. The unrestrained chatter of people in the rush to get to the parks, the lakes, the rivers, or the sidewalk cafes. The slow, meandering walks of couples serenely in their private public moments holding hands bare midriffs, shorts and sandals, and the awkward presence of winter coats still clutched by those of us unsure of winter's retreat, and the uncomprising smile of strangers greeting you in the way folk around these parts say hello, sincere in spring's return. I missed it because I went to a conference in San Antonio. The talk was of a virus inexorably moving across the globe. Many panels were canceled. People afraid to travel given San Antonio that weekend reported 12 cases of COVID-19. All of a sudden, I thought no more of the spring that might be happening back home. To be honest, I have paid no more attention to it since. I don't think it happened that weekend or the following one. If it did, I missed it too, out on another conference where the talk inevitably was consumed by the virus and impending shutdowns. Today, I rode my bike. The wind was brutal and my patience and stamina short. The elements were there, but the sensation was lacking. Spring came, and I was the worst for missing it. Now I try to make do with social distancing. I saw a young couple outside the university dorms kissing. The kiss, awkward as if a violation of a norm our minds can't accept. I see other people outdoors, keeping their distance even as they interact. I go by the store and see dear friends, but I can't give them the long hugs I am accustomed to give and receive. Instead of bob of the head, a touch of the covered elbow and the sad smile of distancing. I'm tired of television. Fortunately, books are filling in my time. Facebook and Instagram show me how others are getting by, and art has never meant more than at this time. I am happy to catch snippets or long plays of music from the porches or living rooms of performers filling a void. Drawing, painting, dancing shares pepper the day. I laugh at those moments where parents document their teaching and parenting fails and successes. Today, tired of the political discourse, I resolve to watch The Horseman on the Roof through Juliette Binoche. Dare I say anymore? 
It is a love story in the time of revolution and the cholera epidemic. Benosha's smile is the closest thing to the magic of spring I will have this year. Unless, maybe I have not missed spring. Maybe it is waiting for when this moment passes. Thank you to Kansas City artist Jose Faust for recording and sharing that with us. Is there something you want to share with us? We want to hear how you're doing, too. You can leave a voicemail at 816-398-8207 with your brief story, name, and where you live. You can also email a voice memo to KCUR producer Mackenzie Martin at mckenzie at kcur.org. Have a great weekend, all. I'm Steve Kraske, and you've been listening to up-to-date special coverage coronavirus in Kansas City.